Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pet. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pet. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan, depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. Said we can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on, it's either turn off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger, no thinking twice. Cops be wildin', the killing youth. The new Jim Crow, a different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast, mark of the beast. Cease and desist, increase the peace. Move in silence, don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. to all the martyrs. Say your prayer, Heavenly Father. Black lives matter, black lives matter. All right, everybody, welcome back to another live episode of The Creative Gourd. We have the professor back in the building. How you doing, sir? I'm chilling, brother. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. I'm doing all right. I always get chills when I hear that song. I just love being able to witness history in the making. It's always great. Yes, sir. That was a that was a wonderful night. Definitely a dope night. Um, Shout out to she. Hope all is well, fam. Absolutely, absolutely. So I guess we can get right into it to probably one of the most polarizing elections in recent time, if at at all time, maybe dating back to biblical times. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's and it's and it's still going in some in some sense. Exactly, because you know, no one we still uh, got the drama going on. The Apprentice is still happening. He hasn't fired himself yet. Exactly, he has not conceded, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's conceited, but he's not he hasn't conceded. <laughs> there, See what I did there? Uh, definitely. Uh-huh. Little uh, Aquarian humor for those in the audience, <laughs> for those in the back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man. yeah I, I don't know. I just, I'm proud that we did what we were supposed to do at the polls, but I, I'm still, you know, as an international traveler, I'm still embarrassed that we were in the situation to begin with. So it's kind oh, like of having, it's like having egg on your face. But then having to, uh, you know, uh, wash it off in front of everyone else type of thing. Like, come on, bro. Yeah, we I mean, for and, and we can't even say for the past four years we've been a laughingstock because there have been times previously to the past four years where we we're a laughingstock of the world. And I mean, and just just in in terms of us as a country, mm. us as Americans, mm. um, I know we are a nation of immigrant, but I'm talking about I'm speaking specifically to the Americans. Right. right. Us as Americans who don't have that much. Uh, knowledge about international affairs in some ways because we're uh, so narcissistic uh, or ego-centered um, when it comes to our own policy. We just worry about ourselves and say we're the best, we're the, we're the brightest, we're, we're, you know, we're just America, grand old USA, right? Um, so much so that we call ourselves America even though we're a part of the continent called North America and the United States is only part of that, right? Um, so there's a lot of pieces that come with that. It's funny because I heard someone, <laughs> someone had a joke uh, that they shared with one of my colleagues who was a, a, a middle school student. They said, um, what do other countries call Karen's? So we know Karen's and we know Karen's <laughs> in the United States. We know where Karen is. They said, what, what, what do other folks call Karen's 
um, in other countries? And the answer was Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very accurate. (laughs) So in terms of us being a laughingstock, I mean, there's Mm. so many things that, if you think about it, the way that America was built, um, it was was built underneath um, distress of certain people um, or fraud, deceit, corruption. And it continues to live under those same circumstances in many spaces. Um, I can't remember who was talking about it, um, but they were saying if you look at our if you look at our United States Constitution, not only is it outdated and like in some ways broken and just not strong enough compared to the nation that we claim to be, there there are many other constitutions that are just stronger than ours. Um, it's really important, really important for us to think about that and go back and look at it because you know there are some there's some the same way some places modeled. Uh, their racism and their caste system off of ours. Shout out to Nazi Germany, right? right. Hitler and them folks who modeled off of Jim Crow South, right? Right. Um, so you think about that piece is there were some other folks who tried to model what we were trying to do in terms of democracy um, to formulate their own constitution, such as, for example, South Africa, um, you know, after apartheid, et cetera, trying to bring things together. But mm-hmm. there, we need to revisit ourselves um, as a political entity as a foreign entity, the way that they were, we're, we're disconnected from many other parts of the world. And you know, a lot of that has to do with Trump in many spaces, because, you know, you would pull out of certain coalitions and things of that nature. But a lot of it has to do with education. A lot of it has to do with us saying that it's us being patriotic, but it's just because we're, we're just so egocentric. We don't know anything about the rest of the world um, in many spaces um, for us to even buy into the fact that guess what? We're a part of a larger place called Earth. Um, so there's just so many pieces that need to go into that. Um, but this election, man, um, it was it's it's still ugly. It yeah. was ugly in a lot of different ways. And you know, it was crazy because I'm in Philadelphia, right? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, Ben and I, we went out, and this was when Biden was like declared by the Associated Press, you know, the winner, right? Or president-elect. Um, it's a Saturday. Yo, these white folks out here in the streets, like the Eagles just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. All right. And we still have work to do. And where were you before? Thank you. Right. Rona's still here. Exactly. Is it because it's a nice day outside? (laughs) Is it because like you were going to be outside anyway? You just happened to grab your your uh, mask and uh, one of your homemade signs. Right. Like it's, it's just so there's a lot that still needs to be done. Absolutely. And I think that's the biggest takeaway, right, is that we have so much work to do. Like, okay, this was a good accomplishment. But at the same time, you know, what has happened and and transpired in terms of, you know, human rights violations in our country, especially in terms of racism, we that's a massive hurdle. I feel like that's more arguably more important than the election, because regardless of who's in office, that can't be allowed ever. To me, that's number one. And number two. I'm glad you brought up the the Nazi parallels because I thought I was the only one who saw this connection. So it kind of reminds me of the film, uh, the Quentin uh, Tarantino film, Inglorious Bastards, when mm. you had the um, uh, you know illustrating the the Nazi time in Germany, and then there was a segment in the film where the protagonist went around uh, hunting former Nazis who were trying to hide that they were Nazi supporters. So my thought was like, wait a minute, I wonder if there's going to be some people who were riding and dying with Trump, then he lost. And I wonder if you're going to start hiding your Make America Great Again hats and paraphernalia, act like it didn't happen. Now, I'm just more curious to see that. 
Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, you know, because let's let's be real, real talk, real talk. And I know people change, and I want to give room for people's growth and development. Um, but you know, there's a lot of folks who are out there who were wearing the Biden Harris mask. Like I said, maybe four years ago they were wearing something different. Mm-hmm. They had on the MAGA hat. You know what I mean? And you know, now things have changed in the sense of I put it. I put it this way. I was I was talking to not only on Brown's Barbershop with Dre, but I was sharing it with like some of my colleagues too. I'm like, listen, it reminds me of like a sports analogy. If mm-hmm. We're talking about a sports analogy. Um, we're still playing for the same team. We're still playing for America. We just got different coaches now. And just because our coach got fired, our franchise is still the same. Mm. It's still America. We still playing the same game. Now, we need to know what role we're playing. We need to know our position. And truth be told, we know this coach's track record. We know where the coach came from. We know the coach's teams they played for before. So what are we going to do as players and make sure that the coach is not running offense that's crazy? You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to come in with the, the, you know, you know, we might have be used to a triangle office. He's going to try to come in with some square offense. <laughs> it's like, yo, hold up, pump your brakes, fan. No, that's not the triangle. Um, this is not going to work for us. So really thinking about, you know, at the end of the day, politics is politics. At the end of the day, folks vote their interests. At the end of the day, this was more of a situation where folks wanted to see one person lose as opposed to really wanting to see the other person win. Um, and I think that's something to be said because even as a people, I'm looking at the numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And there was an increase of black men who voted for Trump this time around. Exactly. In 2020. In 2020. And you think about the 70 plus million people who voted for Trump. And you could vote for whatever reason. You know, they might vote for, uh, you know, single issue voters or whatever the case may be. But we still have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not the what. It's not the what. I'm more interested in the why. And if the why is because you're trying to protect some of your own personal interests and stuff, I understand that. But there's some folks who they're not averse to racism. They're not averse to xenophobia. They're mm-hmm. not averse to someone becoming a, a pretty much a, a neo-fascist regime. Um, they subscribe to all that. And there's folks who, even if he's no longer in office, they still going to be about the way they've always been. Um, and um, I think I think I heard it best put by um, Eddie Os Glaude. Eddie S. Glow was like, listen, let's not let's not sit here and, and, and give Trump all this credit. We can't just put it on his shoulders. He is a manifest a manifestation of America. Thank you. American values, the things that we've done in history. Like Trump is America's making. And we have to deal with that. The other analogy I gave is like, listen. We talk about laundry, right? The funny thing is, I think when we were at Petty, um, the Petty School, uh, uh, I think it might have been when I started working there, um, but the International Students Association had a T-shirt that said, the only thing that should be separated by by color is laundry, right? (laughs) So so we think about laundry, right? And, you know, they separate the colors colors from the whites. Um, America still hasn't admitted that it has dirty laundry, let alone prepared to pack it and take it to the laundromat. Like they they haven't even admitted that they got some dirty laundry and it stinks. So we have to get back to that. And just because we got a new laundromat owner, don't mean that we don't have laundry that's dirty, stinking that we got to take to the to the dry cleaners or the laundromat ASAP, like yesterday, like four hundred years ago. So that's what we really need to think about. Yes, the election is over. Um, well, not really, but yes, we we've seen developments and we're continuing to see developments in this space. But a lot of work to do. Absolutely. Even if that work has to do with, let's say, how social media plays a role in the election, as we saw today with Twitter and Facebook being essentially held on trial for uh, censoring material 
on their on their platforms in addition to adding to misinformation things like that so it's very interesting to see where we're going to go from here and first of all i love the laundry metaphor because 400 years ago who was doing the laundry Mm. number one number two i love the basketball metaphor and the sports metaphor obviously because essentially right we have a new coach technically uh, a new coach elect excuse me (laughs) (laughs) right an uh, interim coach let's say and essentially how you're going how we're going to run the offense because the offense essentially like the constitution and as you brilliantly said earlier this type of offense is outdated for this this type of uh competition that we're playing against now right so essentially constitution is literally the playbook of life in america combined with the the social elements which could be i guess be marketing and advertising and professional sports as we discussed earlier on our pro sports po- uh, podcast but at the end of the day, you have to align with what's going on currently. And as we always hear in the NFL, what have you done for me lately? So what you have done for America lately, specifically the Americans who look like us and our brothers and sisters and cousins and all of our loved ones is a, a gross uh, disservice of biblical proportions. It definitely is. And, you know, just thinking about the original or the framers of the Constitution, mm. think about all these White men with powder wigs and all that other stuff, right? With the the the, the knickerbockers and the, <laughs> you know the, all those things, right? You think you think about that, Lady Penelope. And, <laughs> <laughs> you think about all that, right? And you think about who was not even considered a human being during that time, right? And if we're talking about 2043 or 2049, but I think 2043 being um, America being a nation that's a majority minority. If we're talking about moving into a more pluralistic society, the very folks who were not considered human are now going to be those who really constitute the majority of the population. Exactly. So how can that document that was anti-me mm. really, really stand the test of time and then be a document that I can use to move forward? So when we talk about laws and policies and amendments and things that need to be done, there's so many things that need to change the same way the population has changed and it's changing. So what we've seen and what we continue to see is um, that 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 last cry, so to speak, or that last rebel yell. We talked about that before, right? That last war cry of those folks who are a part of the Confederacy. Right. right? Trying to say, yo, this is my country. Exactly. And you ain't going to take it away. Right. You know, just think about those pieces. Mm-hmm. and. We have, to, we have to fight and approach it on multitude of levels. Like I said last time, um, voting is not the solution, but it should be a part of the solution. Right. Um, and that's just a piece that we need to keep in mind. And voting doesn't stop after the general election. In fact, there's a runoff taking place in Georgia. I believe the day is January 5th, uh, 2021. Really? Um, you know, yeah, got the got the runoff of the Senate runoff um, coming up. So there's some other things that we have to keep our eyes on and not fall asleep at the wheel. Absolutely, because as we're continuing to say, the the job isn't done. And I feel like there's always this euphoric moment after, let's say, the majority of of the people who voted for, let's say, the uh, the logical uh, candidate. And they there's a euphoric moment like, oh, we won. And then I feel like it's kind of like a like a resolution, like everyone's focus dwindles, kind of like a news cycle. So after mm-hmm. the goal is accomplished, oh, yeah, yay, we did it. I did my part. I did my civic duty. 
and then this going back to normal. So we're, we're doing all of these things like we're, we're uh, going through all these tumultuous and ten, you know, uh, moments filled with a lot of attention, uh, tension and attention, right? A lot of uh, pop culture relevance. And then after this uh, great climax, then we have that resolution like, OK, now we can go back to normal. So I feel yeah. like that's that's to me, that's the, the critical part. And it's kind of like how Chappelle said in a, in a recent stand up, like, listen, guys, uh, not stand up on SNL, his stand up on SNL. He's like, listen, guys, uh, at the end of the day, being for, you know, going back to being, you know, black in America, this is what it is. And we've seen it during the quarantines and everyone videotaped it. So it's undeniable. So we have a lot more work to do. A lot more work to do for sure. And, you know, part of that, part of that work is, <clears throat> which I'm inspired mm. by a lot of the young folk who could not vote in this election, but will be able to vote um, relatively soon. Um, and their first election won't be for the primary. I mean, not for the primary, for um, the general election, but it'll be for some local districts. Um, I think it's important for us right now to say the same way, the same way that folks have become so interested in DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives, work, et cetera. I want folks to become a little bit more politically engaged as well. Mm. I want folks to be a little bit more interested and take more interest in politics, whether it's local or at the national level, but namely local too, because that's where a lot of stuff gets done. When you think about all the things that we saw during um, this pandemic, uh, you saw when the, the governors of certain states were doing things. And, you know, the federal government wasn't doing much of anything in a lot of spaces, but there were governors who were calling and really, you know, governing their state. Um, so when you think about the local municipality stuff that we can do in terms of being informed about um, everything from school districts and school boards, from superintendents and, you know, um, voting for your Congress uh, council members and folks in, in Congress um, who are going to represent you. It's important for us to be well versed and understand what's what's on the table. Um, what what policies are going to be on the next ballot that's coming out? And all these things are important for us to, you know, not just get so swept up in the fact that, oh, yeah, our person won or whatever mm. the case may be. What's next? What is next? And, it's, and it can't just be this, this contest where someone wins a victory. Now you have to hold them accountable. So if someone gains your vote, make sure they earn it. Exactly. Make sure they earn it. Um, so you have to, we have to put their, their feet to the fire, so to speak. Absolutely. Because, you know, in a democracy, the people are the ones in who have the power. It's just that the way that it's presented, it's like, oh, we're, you know, we're giving our power to this person or this person elect or this person elect when that's not the case. And most of the times as you articulate, they don't even earn it. So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, I kind of equate it to having the illusion of choice. So if you just give two options, oh, I, I have to pick one. No, you, yep. you actually don't, it, especially if they haven't earned it, number one. Number two, as a poli-sci major, I thought it was a great lesson in politics for everyone when we saw what happened in Georgia when the governor, as you said, had very laxed and, let's say, pro-current uh, administration a viewpoint of handling the coronavirus. And then you had the, uh, the mayor in Atlanta, in a major city like Atlanta, major metropolis, we're saying, you know what, we need to do things a little bit differently. We need to we need to shut it down. We need to lock it down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, exactly. And it's important for us to understand that because, you know, um, I don't know. I don't know what people teach in civics nowadays. I don't mm. know if they I don't even know if people know that different branches of the government. I don't know what people know now. You know, I don't know. So I think it's important for folks to you know become um, more informed about that. Additionally, I think it's important for us to look at some of the rising stars. Right. Mm. Um, and, and all these different parties and just, you know. 
before we even get to the parties piece, because I, I think we need to revisit what that looks like in, in this country and we can have that conversation. But, you know, shout out to Stacey Abrams mm. and all the work that she did for for getting so many folks registered to vote. I want to say 800,000 new voters. Amazing. In, in the state of Georgia. Like what? So you mean to tell me she she loses her campaign um, and then she goes and is like, you know what? I might have lost a campaign, but guess what? I'm about to like still use my influence and my political know-how and savvy to make sure that guess what? It's not just about me, boo boo. It's about the rest of the country. Yes, my state, but about the rest of the country. And in some cases, the rest of the world, if you think about America and the, and the influence and the power that it has. Mm. Um, so just really having that foresight, going back to what Sangu talked about, right? Endowment thinking mm. of thinking long-term and saying, all right, I lost this battle, but the war is still being fought. So what do we do next? So it's always about having that next strategy, that next plan to move the needle. Absolutely. And then it's critical because you get swept away with your emotions in these elections. And that's how they're designed. They're designed to galvanize you to be like, oh, I want this person to win really bad to get you to go and vote. But after you vote, then, OK, what, what happens next? Or if you're a candidate and you lose, like you said, with Miss Miss Abrams, right, then it's like, wait a minute, there's a bigger goal here. So as someone who works at a welfare agency and one of our primary functions is to get people registered to vote. And now we see how critical it is in times like this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, again, we, we, I don't want folks to get us wrong and mm. make it seem like we are saying that voting is the way out of this mess. It's a piece of it. It's an important piece of it. Um, what I'd like to see is this whole two-party system change. Yes. Thank um, you. <laughs> first and foremost, I mean, there's there's good folks in the Republican Party. There's good folks in the Democratic Party. There's also crazy bad folks in the Republican Party and crazy bad folks in the Democratic Party. Sure, we could talk about the we could talk about the Green Party, we could talk about the Tea Party, we could talk about whatever party we want. We could talk about the birthday party, Kanye West, right? <laughs> we could talk, we could talk about whatever party you want to talk about. There again, politics is politics. And it's almost like, you know, if you take McDonald's, you buy McDonald's, let's say you, you buy you buy a McChicken or, you know, you got you got a, 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 a McDouble with Mac sauce because you're trying to get the the, the Big Mac um, on the humble without having to pay for it. Right. You, get mm. the McDouble with Mac sauce. <laughs> you take that McDonald's and put it inside a Burger King bag. It's still McDonald's. Exactly. It's just in a different packaging. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about all this politics stuff, when it, yes, there are some folks who have different policies, etc. But if you look at the history of the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, and all this other stuff, like if folks study how things have changed and evolved, etc., you'll see there's a lot in common. There's some places where they de uh, defer, um, but it's important for us to also think about the facts, think about the policies. Sometimes we get so caught up in the rhetoric of whatever's hot in the moment, or a few loud voices of the party, right? So much so to, you know, those folks who might be conservative and have conservative values, they might want to rock with the Republican Party, but they might not necessarily rock with Trump. Right. However, there are some folks who definitely want to rock with the conservative um, viewpoint and values and then also the Republican Party. And they don't care how Trump is because they want their conservative viewpoints to get pushed through no matter who's doing it. You can say the same thing about the Democratic Party. And then there's all these different places where you want to go from super, super far right to super, super far left. You got the moderate, liberal, except at the end of the day, it's all people doing crazy stuff. And I, everyone's always out for themselves and their self-interest. It's not, mm. I, I don't think there are many people who are voting for the betterment of other people. Right. So when you think about it, 
Voting is what? A personal choice. Mm -hmm. It's a personal decision. And usually when you have a personal choice or a personal decision, you're voting based on your personal interests. So when we when we make it seem like, you know, everyone's like, oh, my side, my side. You really, it boils down to what's good for you and yours yes. when it comes to politics. So we have to change the conversation about what's going to be good for all of us. What's going to be good for all of our families? And the problem is the folks don't want to talk about why we can't get to that situation or that solution quickly. All these years of inequities, mm. all these things to the point where it's like we can't even agree on certain pieces because some folks are old things. We can't even have a reparations conversation, but then you're telling me we have to do this, that, and the third over here? Come on now. So there's just so many pieces that need to be addressed. But again, politics, you know, you got folks who are very savvy. Yeah, folks who've had their seats. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, a popularity contest. If you got your boys with you, you ready to fight. But if you're out there by yourself and there's nobody with you, you might be a little quiet. You might be a little quiet when you when you pop into the club, right? Um, so just thinking about that's that's we see that in the political landscape all the time. Um, but it's important to really understand the game, pay attention, see where we are, don't fall for the okie doke, don't be, don't be um bullied into doing something. Mm -hmm. And I think like we talked about, we said it wasn't a political campaign, it looked like there was a lot of marketing campaigns going on. It's like, oh, you got a nice sign, that's a nice hat. <laughs> Like if Trump wasn't giving if Trump wasn't giving out snapbacks and it was actually fitted, might have been more brothers out there. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you might be right there, unfortunately, right? But that you speak of facts. Because at the end of the day, that's why I feel like he won the first time because if it because of his marketing, right? Because he was able to run a campaign that was void of politics. And he, he wasn't a politician, so it made no sense to center around politics, you know, politics and politicians usually have to uh, essentially walk a tightrope of being, uh, let's say the having a monopoly on morality and be like, Oh, we're of this ilk here. And this is why you have slander campaigns to expose all that information. So that's what he was able to do at the end of the day. But to your point, I, you know, I've been really, really percolating on this thought for a while. Like I think we need to, totally divorce ourselves from the dual party system. I think that's in the best interest for those who are interested in black excellence. In fact, I think it should be called the black excellence party because I feel like that's something that everyone can get their, their, uh, their hand, head around. I feel like as soon as you say that statement, you know exactly what they mean, right? Could be some things that are bougie, but also some things that are progressive as well. So you, the, having that ability to not only focus on what is important for our people and our progress, because who would know better than us, right? Mm -hmm. But also to also educate others who may not know, who are willing to know, who are willing to be allies more than just saying I'm an ally, but actually willing to do the work. And we saw a couple of those people during this election. So I feel like doing things like how Ice Cube is doing, right? In terms of having a contract for, you know, black America, but also who he, he, who he got to help write the whole contract and see what his vision is and have some visions aligned with that. Because at the end of the day, as you said before, there are moments previously in American history where certain administrations were also an embarrassment, right? So at the end of the day, I think it's very important to, for all of us to see, like this is a, like I said, this is a great political lesson for everyone to see that the dual party system is no longer no longer serving us and i think by 20 was 2024 the uh oh. yeah the next election will 
it's not gonna be it's not gonna be like that like this at all. I think it's gonna be more more about other let's say third parties as opposed to the dual party system. It's gonna be some some up and comers who are, will gain a lot of momentum, and I think people will be able to be galvanized around a more like you said a more moderate or you know a more inclusive a form of politics that helps everyone, kind of like how Andrew Yang is doing, and perhaps uh, other elements as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I appreciate the whole notion of maybe they even think about like a black excellence party or whatever the, whatever you want to call it. I mean, quite frankly, honestly, I mean, when you think about, for me, speaking from the eye perspective, me, in terms of like, you have the Republican Party, you have the Democratic Party, honestly, neither one of them really jive to me. Um, it, 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 they both ooze whiteness. They both scream whiteness to me. Like, I, right. I still see whiteness. And I mean, uh, I've seen Green Party candidates um, that speak, they spoke my language more so, ah, much more so, okay, much more so. And, and, and it's like, not only the people who are on it, but the things that they're thinking about, the stuff that they're talking about. And it's not like the, the regular, uh, political politicians speak where it's like, eh, no, it's a little bit more intellectual d- diving a little deeper and not using such white language. Mm. And by white language, I mean, glorifying whiteness. And, you know, again, there's one thing to be patriotic, but damn, I know how this country was built. And you, you give me you can't I, you can't sell me on the red white and blue. So when you talk about red white and blue, I'm like, all right. So I'm an American. I get that. I got my sister status. We good. But when I see Re- Republican, Democrat, it's like I I really don't care. Elephant, donkey, I don't care. Right. So there there needs to be more to it. I'm not committed to a party. Mm. I have my own values. And guess what? Sometimes those values get twisted up in the game. You have folks who go from one party to the next party. Some folks who are independent only to come back to the Democratic Party or to the Republican Party. So it's, it's, it's so many levels to it. But I, I, I was saying to someone, I can't wait for the time where I'm excited, excited about a candidate where I'm like, yo, I can't wait to vote. Right. Like, I can't wait to vote. Like I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for that point. And part of it, I think, is the political system in terms of that and thinking about the party system and what we can do. But yeah, something's got to change. Absolutely. And to be fair, I have to give credit to, you know, Donnie a little bit because he's the one he, he specifically is the person that made other people be like, you know what? I got to vote to make sure you're not here anymore. Mm. Similar mm-hmm. to how obama was and as you were saying like someone you could be like oh i definitely want to vote type of thing and that was i think that was the first year i could vote that we could vote was for obama so i thought that was pretty cool as well during our college years Mm -hmm. and and then dino has a question here do you guys think the convo about canceling student debt is drowning out the call for reparations great question ayana presley caught some heat recently for championing debt cancellation as a race issue interesting that is a very interesting question, brother. I wasn't following that in terms of Ayanna Presley's piece. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, before I get to that question directly, it reminds me of this whole legacy debate, mm. right? So we talk about colleges and universities, um, legacy status. That means that you are applying to an institution um, that a member of your family, usually a close member of your family, um, meaning like your grandfather, grandmother, so a grandparent, mother, father, uncle, aunt, sibling. Right. Like those type of things, not like second, third, fourth, fifth cousin, not talking about that, but like close, direct connection to your family. Legacy status. Mm -hmm. There was a hit or a call for legacy status to not be continued anymore. Folks are like, oh, no, I don't think we should have legacy status. It's not fair. Now, me, in my mind, (laughs) the way that I think about things, I'm like, all right, the minute people who look like me, you and Brother Dean 
start applying to these schools to the point where we graduate from these schools. And our kids, when we have children, would apply to these schools, they would benefit from legacy status. Now that, guess what? More black and brown folks are getting into these institutions, particularly these elite institutions of higher education, higher learning. They're like, nah, this legacy thing is is not fair. It's not (laughs) fair. Because it's evening the playing field for people who look like me and you who paved the way for our folks to come through. Right. So what's really at stake here? So Mm. when we talk about this piece about canceling student debt, I think that definitely is drowning out the call for reparations. If we're about money, it needs to be reparations or bust. Reparations or bust. We talk about reparations first. Reparations, reparations, reparations. Now, as a person who has student debt, and it's not from undergrad, really. Undergrad, I was pretty pretty good. Pretty good with undergrad for, for, for the financial aid that I received, et cetera, doing work study, et cetera. But my master's degree, good God. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. And, the fact, and, and here's the real thing. Because, again, this is America, a capitalistic society. Mm. So- in order to make money, you got to spend money. If you don't got that money, you got to borrow money. So in order for me to actually be considered for certain positions, right, I needed an advanced degree. So I had to go get my master's. My hands were tied in a lot of ways. So I would love to have my debt canceled. However, however, it goes back to the whole piece of reparations when folks keep trying to put a number on it. So how much do we owe? So how much? No, we shouldn't get into that conversation. It shouldn't be a round number. We need to talk about equity. Thank you. We need need to talk about percentages and perpetuity. Thank you. That's what we need to talk about. So when you talk about like canceling students, that's one and done. My 80,000 is gone. My 100,000 is gone. My 250,000 is gone. What am I getting now? Yes, I don't have to make that payment anymore. But again, guess what? I'm not getting money coming in either. So when we talk about reparations... I'd much rather someone give me money to do with what I please and to continue to get percentages in perpetuity than for someone to say, I'm going to give you this money, one lump sum, you're done. It's almost like in the lottery, right? They'd be like, do you want one lump sum, one lump sum, or do you want things in perpetuity? Like, I mean, you know, you can think about that. You can think about that. But my thing is, it's definitely drowning out the call for reparations. I don't know if it's a political way to get in and try to like get here, get there. But again, we have to think about student debt. There's folks who got student debt now. And I'm thinking about those folks who might have had to get debt because, you know, they want to become a doctor, lawyer, et cetera. And it's not just it's not just poor black and brown folk. It's not just folks from from the culture. Um, So I I, I would be wary of things like that. And I I wouldn't push for stuff like that. Um, We need to talk about why the cost of college is so damn expensive to begin with. Right. Particularly if you want to talk about return on investment. We got PhDs without jobs, y'all. I mean, and attorneys without employment, right? Because it's so saturated. Because folks are like, I'm going to go get this law degree, and then I'm going to go practice law. It's like, are you? Mm. Are you? You might. You, we need some legal scholars on YouTube. Exactly. I, I, like, stream y'all that joint. Like, it's just, so, <laughs> it's just so much stuff going on. And I think we have to be very mindful. That's why I really appreciate the question, um, particularly about, again, back to the political thing. You know, and, you know, Mama Ayanna Presley. Doing your thing. Part of the squad, holler. All I'm saying is, let's keep this reparations conversation going. Because you know folks don't want to pay that money. Sure and then, they again, they I'm telling you, people are fiending. They want people to say, you know, somebody, you know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, how much? Like, oh, maybe about a trillion. I right, bet. Mm-hmm. Dead the conversation. We're not getting paid what we're actually owed. Mm-hmm. So let's not put a number to it. Let's, let's take some time and study this bad boy and figure it out. I mean, if we could do both and... Cancel that debt and some other stuff? Sure. Sure, that would be great. But again, let's think about this too. 
there's a lot of things in terms of like if you're a public service worker or if you work like if you if you go to the if you know you know if you're a member of the armed forces, um, if you're a politician in some spaces, your debt gets canceled or, or waived anyway. So some of these folks are speaking from a place of privilege, just like your money's already good. So like you're going to try to help somebody else out. There's a lot of white folks who already been in this in this public office because we've seen we've seen the country in terms of politics. It's become more diverse now, which is great. But a lot of folks have already benefited from debt cancellation. Mm. And yeah, you know, we would benefit from debt cancellation, too. But that's 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 not evening the playing field. It's just saying that we are allowed to run the race now without a barrier. But we're still far behind. I want us to get not only the opportunity to run the race fairly, but you need to put me ahead of where these folks are, if not at the same spot. So we need to talk about that reparations piece. Absolutely. And fantastic question from Dino and brilliant points from Professor Israel, because when you were talking about how attorneys, right, who who are applying, you know, who are going to law school, you know, studying for the LSAT and then taking the bar. But at the end of the day, there's a, a surplus of attorneys, as you said, not only that, but now I believe in in law school, they're doing away with the ranking system which was uh, was giving you the ability to differentiate yourself. So putting in all that hard work will put you to the, to, to the top of the list. But if similar to the legacy of missions is like, oh, now there's uh, too many too many people of a sper- certain persuasion getting to the top of that list. We need we need to we need to make it more equal. We're just going to do it with the ranking system, things like that. And then when I'm thinking about the student debt versus the reparation, for me, it's a no brainer. It's always going to be reparations. Because, it, like you said, it's an infinite number. We we can't even quantify it as of right now. It would it would have to be studied over a course of time. Number one, number two, we're definitely getting that with interest, <laughs> right? Number three, I'm thinking about it this way: Who are the institutions? And Dino would be able to answer this better than I in terms of his uh, expertise in the financial institutions, right? And you you too as well, brother Israel. They're essentially letting these financial institutions off the hook by forgiving the debt. That That's the way I'm looking at it. So it, to me, it's also kind of scratching the back of others who are already benefiting from the system. So that when I look at it, like when I see the student debt, so if they forgive the debt, that also means that they're going to forgive it on the books of these institutions who are owed this money as well. So they're not, uh, let's say, financially uh, hit from from this as well, so it it would not happen without them getting the reaping the rewards of this action. That's a great point. That's definitely a great point, and it, and it, and it for me it also raised another point that's important. So, slavery, Ooh. right, mm-hmm. was abolished, right? You know, you have Emancipation Proclamation. You know, eighteen sixty four, eighteen sixty five, eighteen, all that area, right? Then you have Juneteenth, where folks find out six months later after the fact that they were free down in Texas, right? Talk about Juneteenth. All right. So if slavery ended eighteen late, let's just say late eighteen sixties, right? Call it that. And the Higher Education Act, when folks were able to like actually start to get to go to school, and there wasn't much discrimination that they had to deal with. I say all this to say that came about in 1965. Mm. So you talk about 1865 to 1965. There's 100 years unaccounted for. Then you talk about before that, right? It's about 200 plus years unaccounted for. So when you're talking about canceling folks' debt, I'm sorry. Slavery as an institution lasted longer 
than when we were allowed to even go to school. Wow. Yeah. If you think about it that way, if you think about it that way, school's been segregated, but before that, we weren't even allowed, folks weren't allowed to learn how to read in slavery times. Right. Enslaved people were not allowed to learn how to read. In fact, you would get lashings if you were caught reading, etc. Or if right? you were able to formulate an actual sentence. Exactly. So anything about education, you they, they would beat it out of you, mm. right? You're not allowed to get educated. So we weren't in these schools. We started our own schools. But in terms of these institutions to the point where we actually got debt, we weren't even allowed to go to school, so we couldn't even accrue debt, right? So who would that really be benefiting now? Um, so when we think about that, we can't get caught up in these smoke and mirrors and allow a generation to come along because, oh, the generations who fought for this and understand it more so are starting to die off. We can't allow, as our generation, a lot of conversation to focus to be shifted to some other nonsense. Reparations, reparations, reparations. To, to quote, uh, to, to, to remix the quote, I think is uh, Governor Wallace or Bull Connor. I can't remember who it is. But he was like, segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation <laughs> yep. for reparations today, reparations <laughs> tomorrow, reparations forever. That's what I'm saying. Facts. That's bars right there. <laughs> Not only that, but that's a brilliant point because at the end of the day, all right, if you're going to, if you're going to say that, you know, okay, we're going to forgive this amount of debt. Number one, I feel like it has to benefit people who are, let's say, let's say in the reparations conversation, because not all of those people are in the reparations conversation, as you said, number one, number two, I feel like if there's going to be a, let's say whatever, you know, statute or whatever that says you're going to forgive all of this debt. Does that also mean that that conversation goes away about reparations, which I think is the, the main point. And then number three, I feel like, if we're going to have the conversation about reparations, we have to get some economists who are able to, you know, uh, calculate it with the inflation rate, things like that. I need these type of conversations to be happening. And then if you look at all the families who are wealthy because of slavery, I say that we have to start with their pocket. Talk about it. Talk about it. So we we coming for that money. Mm. One way, shape, or form. It's a shakedown, baby. We got to get it done. We got to get it done. Like, don't get caught at a red light. We want that money. Exactly. And Dino says, word, I really appreciate your responses. Josh, to your question, we'd have to figure out who's buying bonds on federal student loans. Thank you, Dino. I'm sure a lot of people's retirement is tied up in our debt payments. How about them apples? Absolutely. That piece, that wow. part right there, That part. in addition to that part right there, the same folks who have their retirement tied up in uh, debt payments are the same people who probably have their retirements tied up to privatization of prisons. So there's, you know, there, there, there's some private prisons on some people's retirement plans. So it's like, there's just so many pieces there. And we talk about this stuff like it's so light. There are layers, 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 layers. So we can't just gloss over it. Um, so yeah, we thank you for that, Dean. Thank you, Dean. And I'm, I'm actually insanely curious now because I think we're all aware that the police force nationwide has their own pension. Is it a conflict of interest for their pension to be relied upon privatizing a, a privatization of prisons? Because I, I would not, love not to them. 
<laughs> right. It's, it's, it's not a conflict of interest to them. <laughs> right. But I'm just curious if the SEC yeah. thinks so. I, I'm just I'm, I'm more curious about that because that's that would be out. That would be ridiculous. That would be America, good brother. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that, that would definitely be America. Unfortunately, right? That's the American way. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow, Dino. Okay, we got to get Dino on to talk about reparations. That's that's what we need. <laughs> Lots of food for thought there. Lots of food for thought. And I'm actually curious. What do you? I'm, I'm obviously I'm talking to Professor Israel, but I'm also talking to everyone in the comments. And thank you for joining us once again, Dino. Mrs. Yizzy and Claude Diz. I'm just curious, where do you think the money would come from if they would ever say yes? Out of curiosity, would it come from profits gained on the stock market? Because there's a lot of, uh, let's say, um, there's a lot of money that changes hands and exchanges there. At the, uh, of course, the stock exchange, because there's, there's a lot of currency there. Or would it be from uh, percentages of corporations who have verified ties to uh let's say slavery times and have benefited from slavery times and would that come from their bottom line their percentage and then all of it just goes into a pot and then it's dispersed and then how is it dispersed between you know uh ancestors of slaves what's the requirement is it going to be a ridiculous amount of requirement to be like oh are you actually ancestor of a slave and things like that like what would that actually look like it's, again, and that and, and that's why HR forty has has been put out there. Um, just that's been calling for the study, the study of reparations. Not mm. even saying give me my money now. It's been calling for the study of reparations, and folks don't want to touch it because they know that guess what? America probably go bankrupt overnight if they actually had to pay the money back, right? Mm. If they had to, want to talk about canceling student debt? <laughs> can we can we cancel America's debt? Wow, like is that possible? Probably not. Because y'all owe too much money. We canceled that. You'll get more because it's, it's never ending. So I think, again, just thinking about the whole cash versus equity piece. I don't, I'm not looking for the straight cash payout. I'm looking for that equity piece. And we have to look at these institutions and study which ones are benefiting, have benefited, will continue to benefit. We need to look at that. We really need to look at it so we can see who needs to pay. And it's like, listen, we're knocking on doors, bro. No, leave, leave no stone unturned. If there's a nickel underneath that rock, bro, we want it. <laughs> exactly and Clodis says the same place that the stimulus checks came from hashtag just saying and that actually reminds me of the the point you brought up about the or and you and Dean brought up about the the student debt because for me I, I view the paying away student debt as another uh, as another um, stimulus check type of solution right because it's easier because reparations actually require conversations like this. And then we'll actually get to see financially who is responsible for slavery, financially who currently is benefiting from slavery. Because let's be honest, the whole concept and phrase of old money usually refers to someone who has money so long that it probably started in slavery. Because everyone keeps forgetting as Americans, and we go back to the ignorance that Professor Israel, Israel brought up at the beginning of the stream, where people don't actually understand their history as Americans and not, and in terms of understanding that we're all immigrants here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen, listen, if you ever, mm. ever, ever, ever purchase any piece of material that was cotton, you owe money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I owe money. 
Cotton tax. There it is. <laughs> Clothed is. Yeah. In addition to, of course, to companies that have records of participating in the slave trade, for example, insurance companies. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. But see, with things like that, then I'm looking like, okay, but now it needs to be an international conversation. And now we're on multiple continents. And now we're also in multiple religions as well. We're going to have to listen. We, we need to get the scholars, the economists, the folks in to discuss it and come up with that plan. Um, equity, 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 and per- in perpetuity, percentages in perpetuity. And what if their form of equity that they offer as a solution would be, okay, you have equity in this company as a descendant of someone who was, you know, in, in the slave trade. So when you get to this age, you have a job here. Congratulations. <laughs> Listen, we can't fall for the okie doke. We need our best and brightest on this joint. Mm. Uh, we need folks to to understand on the political maneuvers what people try to do. So we got to get that popping. Absolutely. And I, I feel like that's the, the one part I'm concerned about with this whole discussion is because as we know now, let's say current, let's say our current uh, group of people may not be as aware of what has happened in the past. Number one, number two, if you're in the, you know, whatever you've done for me lately, perspective is going to be like, all right, this is money right now. So let's take the money right now, as opposed to actually thinking like to your example about the to your example about the, uh, excuse me, about the oh, the lottery. Sorry, there we go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I think it's important for us to understand, one, how money works. Like you talked about the whole notion of inflation. Uh, we need economists. And it's also, it doesn't have to just be about cash, too. It could be about infrastructure. It could be about giving us contracts to certain things. It could be about, there's a lot of pieces that need to go into this in order to make sure that we are getting back what we're owed and also um, given the opportunity to thrive. Absolutely. And to, you know, not only thrive, but also understand how, you know, how business works and how these institutions were able to accumulate such, you know, immense amount of funds. Because I think like understanding that knowledge is going to be very valuable in our community as well. Work. Absolutely. So thank you guys once again for an amazing episode. We appreciate the participation. We appreciate Brother Yisrael with the gems. Dino with the financial food for thought. I love that. Dean, we got to have you on, my bro. And we also have to have Clodiz on eventually as well to talk about education, get you two educators interacting together. I think that will be fantastic. But thank you guys once again. We appreciate you and you enjoy the rest of your week. Peace. You repeat what they create You repeat what they created And get power to hate But worst of all, we disappoint All the greats Black lives matter Black lives matter Yeah, yeah. Black lives matter